Welcome to Do I Still Love It? I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. And uh, every week we invite a guest to come over to our house and watch a movie or TV show that we remember loving when we were kids to see whether or not we still love it now that we're adults. And the uh, guest to join us this week is actor and comedian Ryan Miller. Hello, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being on. And so uh, I'm really excited to have Ryan on. Ryan uh, does a lot of comedy works here in Los Angeles, Uh, not only live performances at various comedy venues around town, but also a bunch of uh, really funny videos that you can find online that we will be linking to all over our social media. Why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the, the projects and stuff you're involved with? Oh, well, right now I'm working on a uh, web series called Snack Williams P.I. Uh, with a couple of your uh, previous guests, uh, Michael Chow and uh, Sean George. Sean uh, is uh, directing. And uh, it's uh, just a, a web series about a private detective who's also an aspiring screenwriter. And it's just kind of a, <laughs> an absurd, wacky uh, take on the whole detective noir genre. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really great. I've gotten to see the first episode of it, and it's like it's hilarious. If you like that sort of really absurd humor, right before we started rolling, we were talking about how glad I am that we have you on for this, uh, for our movie we're watching today, because it kind of falls in this vein of like, like hyper stylized slapstick comedy. Yeah. Now the question is, what movie are we watching? Great. So we're watching <laughs> 1994's The Mask with Jim Carrey. Uh, which, as soon as Ryan offered it up, I'm like, yes, please. I will gladly have a physical comedian like Ryan Miller on to talk about uh, arguably the king of the physical modern physical oh, comedians, yeah. Jim Definitely. Carrey. For the audience at home, in 30 seconds or less, what can you remember The Mask being about? I remember it being about, uh, seems like a, a guy at a dead-end job of sorts who finds this mask, this magical mask that gives him this uh, alter ego that's just... I guess is the superhuman, the best guy on earth. I guess you would say he's the womanizer. He can the magical powers. <laughs> best guy on earth. Yeah, he's a womanizer. He's the best man on earth. Yes, um, he's essentially the Dosecki's guy with a green face. <laughs> yeah, he is the most interesting mask in the world. Yes. So tell me, uh, tell us, our listeners, a little bit about what what Ryan Miller was like around the time that he was watching and enjoying The Mask for the first time? I was a lot like I am now, really. Uh, Always that tall? <laughs> just, yeah, not, I'm not, I was not a six foot six, uh, six year old. But I, you know, I would watch, uh, I'm a big, huge Jim Carrey fan, always have been. And so I would watch Jim Carrey and then I would just go into the bathroom and I'd just try to make his faces, essentially. Mm-hmm. And The Mask is full of him. Basically, the whole movie, from what I remember, is him just making faces. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I really haven't changed at all. I've actually <laughs> seen a home movies where uh, of me at six years old, and I have the same dance moves that I do now. So, yeah, I haven't changed. You really bit. locked it in early there. Yeah, I did, yeah. Nice, nice. I and peaked. Jim Carrey might have been the part of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Glad to get you here on a grown-up big kid production, fellow yes, grown-up big kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Laura, tell us a little bit about what's your relationship uh, with Jim Carrey movies in general and The Mask in particular? So, Jim Carrey came around at an interesting time in my childhood when I was like 9, 10, 11, which is this very rare moment in my life where I was annoyed by boys. So, okay. uh-huh. <laughs> as a young girl... Rare moment? Yeah, for me, as a young girl, I had crushes on all the boys all the time. Oh, okay. And then around... I have a crush on every boy. Totally. <laughs> um, and then, you know, around, like, middle school, it started to come back. But there was this, like, little nugget of about two years where boys just annoyed me. Mm-hmm. And they... And it's probably because they were constantly quoting Jim Carrey movies and Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, man. We've already and had... we've already, we've done, already done Power, Power Rangers. Rangers. Yeah, I and that. I really <laughs> tapped into, on that episode... The memories of this short period of my life where I was just like, ah, oh, boys want to be punched. I want to punch them in the face. <laughs> yeah. So now I've started to really relook and have a lot of questions about this little time in my life where I was like, did I have biases against these things just because of the amount of annoying 10 year old boys on the playground that would play these things out really big mm-hmm. in front of me? And so I'm really curious to revisit this because 
I did not love Jim Carrey when I was young. What? And it had, and I'm curious how much it had to do with the exposure I got to like how other people reacted to it. So do you remember watching The Mask? Did you see it in theaters? I actually vividly remember watching The Mask. I've seen it one time and it was in a really weird location. My mom's work buddy had her over for a dinner date and I was like a 10 and I had to watch this movie with her like four-year-old son at their ho- at their apartment complex. Oh man. Okay. And I have never seen these humans again. I have no idea where we were or who this oh. woman even was because my mom didn't do stuff like this. So this is like a really rare moment in my life where I'm like, have a vivid memory of sitting in some random lady's apartment watching this movie. But I do remember having a good time watching it and being <laughs> surprised enough. that I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's weird how like the places you see something can yeah. stick with you. Cause I do. It's like, like I haven't thought about that one night in my life since that night. Well, it's, yeah. it's funny cause you said that and now it's triggered. We've already done the super Mario Brothers movie. Michael Chow was on mm-hmm. to do it, but I distinctly remember watching that in uh, this cool remote out in the, out in the forest, like, cabin home of a friend of the family's that we had all gone there you know for like bridge night and me and my brother rented the super mario brothers movie and we're just watching it in this like picturesque cabin in the kentucky wilderness (laughs) but watching super mario brothers (laughs) yeah fantastic um so i remember the thing uh, i think i was a lot like ryan when i was younger like i loved physical comedy and making faces and saying lines it's it's funny as i started thinking about the mask before we were going to sit to watch it, is how many of the lines from this movie, I am sure 10-year-old, or I guess 11-year-old me, incessantly was repeating through uh, the halls of his middle school. I would have probably said, somebody stop me. like Somebody, yeah. To the point where people were physically trying to stop the me. The only <laughs> one I can remember is uh, Smokin'. Oh, yeah, Smokin'. That's the only one I can remember, but... Yeah. Which, like, out of context, both these lines, to me, sound like... Uh, really eye-rolly, uh, obnoxious. And so now I'm worried, what if Jim Carrey is only funny by 90 standards? like, uh, Or by, by by six-year-old standards. Right. Yeah. Because I've seen, like, I've seen, we were talking about his dramatic work, mm-hmm. and we've seen him in, uh, like, uh, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, yeah. right? And he's obviously got dramatic acting chops. Or but I Truman don't, Show, which I think... Or the Truman I Show. I actually think Truman Shows are really great, um... Is a really great Jim Carrey vehicle because it shows him with this magnanimous, yeah. like bigger than life character, and then shows him have to realize that his whole life is a lie, and that is a intense acting yeah. experience. And it's still, I love Truman Show. I can't wait to do it. On and this show. Truman Show is still Jim Carrey. I think uh, yeah, Eternal 100%. Sunshine and Spotless Mind isn't really Jim Carrey. 100%. It's just he just happens to be happens in to be that in movie. Yeah, yeah, it's not a Jim Carrey vehicle in no. much the same way. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see with the way that. Um, the way that these lines you're speaking of, like, smoking, like, really stick in the lexicon. Is it because they were funny to themselves? Or is it because he had such a, like, committed delivery that it just, in its own, co- in its own like, microcosm is awesome? Yeah, so I'm I interested to see if it, it I'm interested to see if it still sticks as an adult. Yeah. Well, let's see what sticks with you as an adult. Won't you join us in watching 1994's The Mask? This is the story of Stanley Ipkiss. Stanley, you are the nicest guy. <laughs> really, you are. Yeah. His job is at the bank. You're 40 minutes late. Now, that's the same as stealing. I'm sorry, Mr. Dickey. It, it'll never happen again. He loves his dog. Come on, Ron. Give him to me. Drop it. He's polite to his landlord. Ipkiss, do you have any idea what time it is? You know, Mrs. Painman. What? And the most exciting thing in his life are his pajamas. But now... Hey, you! What are you doing down there? I'm just looking for... my mask! All that is about to change. (laughs) Because Stanley Ipkiss is not the man he used to be. Smoking! It's like it brings your innermost desires to life. You become some sort of love-crazy wild man. I want him here tomorrow, alive. Now you have to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Do you? Punks? 
Jim Carrey is... That's the guy! Hello! The Mask. Ooh, somebody stop me! All right, and that was The Mask. Uh, wow. Hmm. Uh, First thoughts, guys. Ryan Miller, what are your initial impressions before we really dig uh, into it? It was, uh, I don't remember it being so noir-y, first off. Oh, which yeah. It was very much a noir. Yeah, very heavy on the detective yeah. uh, crime. Thriller. Kind of uh, timeless as well. We didn't know where or when this was taking place. <laughs> I feel like this was taking place in two different time periods at once. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, in fact, as I'm like... Yeah, the the aesthetic is a mix of, like you said, like the detective noir idealized version of like the Roaring Twenties and the kind of inner Tommy city Thirties, you know, uh-huh. like yeah, Zoot Prohibition suits. era. But then also, but, as we noted, there are computers, mm-hmm. and, and so the, it must be in the nineties or at least in the oh, late. Oh yeah, 80s. no, it's a hundred percent modern noir. But by saying modern noir, you don't actually just mean. Mod. I don't know. It was, it was odd. It it actually worked though. I yeah, didn't. It didn't mind bother it. me. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was kind of funny because it did make me think about. This was right around the time that there was like a brief resurgence in that era of both style and music in pop culture because of like oh, Brian yeah. Setzer Orchestra and Daddies. Yeah, yeah, where like ska music was starting to like kind of be a thing, and so big band music that kind of you know, generated ska, like, came back for a while, like, hey, yeah. guys, we love ska. You know what made ska? Big band music, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so I, I don't know if this led it or if this was a, a product of it being a culture at the time or if it was sort of concurrent, you know? Yeah, I don't sure. think it matters. I mean, it's just, this movie just kind of feels like uh, so boldly on its face, I am what I am. You're just, this is what you get. Like, yeah. <laughs> Like, this movie didn't really apologize for itself at all. And so any of those consistency pieces or, like, what quote-unquote tone they were trying to go for, um, somehow something that would usually feel really disjointed, I think because of Jim Carrey's commitment to the character, it just melded what usually would just be like, what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this is a... Another Jim Carrey, uh, a lot of Jim Carrey films are you can't put anyone else in the role or else that movie just will absolutely fail. Yeah, this it is hard to imagine any other actor who has like that sort of like manic energy. Mm -hmm. Like the only thing I could think of, and it wouldn't have been a proper for this time period, but like late 70s Robin Williams. Yeah, it's absolutely the only Which brings up, okay, so Laura pointed out that is the mask a euphemism just for cocaine? Because... (laughs) Well, there's this whole section uh, toward, like, uh, right before the climax where he's, like, explaining what the mask does to him and, and how it's affecting his normal everyday life. And if you just cut out any word that said mask and you just put in Coke, like, yeah. it's just perfect. It makes me feel like I can do anything. Right. Makes all of my desires come true, and I feel like I can accomplish all of it, but I just feel like shit during the daytime. But during nighttime, I feel unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work during the daytime. Other, any other initial thoughts before uh, we d- uh, A lot of it, uh, I don't think it, that it has aged particularly well. Uh, <laughs> There's a good chunk of it that's pretty rapey. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I.e. any treatment they have of a woman, period. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Which kind of falls in line with the noir genre itself. The damsel. uh, Well, I mean, they only had two women. One was the nightclub singer, and one was the the plucky female reporter. Uh So those are really, other than, like, Haggard Mother, the only two female characters that exist in that noir style. And they're both kind of evil. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cameron Diaz redeemed herself in the end, but, uh, yeah. But then Peggy turns out to be evil secretly the whole time. Yeah, so, so... So, yeah, let's go, sort of get into the plot. So the basic plot, as you had it, was right. The Jim Carrey finds this mask, and he's this sort of nice guy loser, which I think that right away somewhat starts to date it. The idea of the nice guy loser who always uh-huh. finishes last is this sort of trope 
that I think kind of had its death knell with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies of the mid-2000s. Like, I kind of feel like uh, 500 Days of Summer and Garden State sort of put this trope to bed. But it's alive and well in 1994. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And in this, our our Manic Pixie Dream Girl is Cameron Diaz. In her first movie ever. This is her first ever movie. And this is the movie that made made Cameron Diaz a household name. And the way that you meet her is so... Yeah, just Marshall put it best when we were watching. So male gaze. Oh, yeah. Everything slows down. The (laughs) sexy music comes in. They pan from her feet all the way up, 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 up. Her legs that never stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's like a five-minute pan. Very voluptuous (laughs) breasts. The dolly Which, zoom on the male gaze. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. There's yeah. the dolly zoom. Yeah. To, um, and, and everything it, goes a little fuzzy. It literally could have been like cut right out to put in a like ex- describing like what is male gaze because the yeah, camera keeps example. shot reverse shotting. It'll uh. show the slow pan up and then sh- show Jim Carrey and his creepy friend both like <laughs> like salivating uh, like dogs. Uh, salivating oh, like dogs. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and this sort of idea kind of will come back later because we learned that Jim Carrey loves cartoons, that he's this sort of adult, he's a nice guy, adult man, like adult boy who's like in love with cartoons. And this is where I started feeling like there was a lot of the movie that um, owes itself to Who Framed Roger Rabbit right. and the resurgence of Looney Tunes at the end of the 80s. Uh, because... The uh, the hound dog character that shows up in a couple different Looney Tunes where he's just, like, uh, being that cat-calling weird man-wolf thing that Jim Carrey himself physically does. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like, that car... Like, this was almost like, hey, let's do that cartoon live action and have an excuse for a human being to be well, able to do it. Well, and I don't it. know if it you noticed, same, but yeah. there was another part in the film where uh, he basically was just Pepe Le Pew. Right, yeah. Oh, with the... Complete with the French yeah. thing. yeah. I wonder, do you think the French are offended by the fact that Americans <laughs> view them as essentially rapists? <laughs> you tell that us. Was, one line you... he said in that was, uh, like Napoleon Bonaparte, I'm going to divide and conquer. Right, right before wow. trying to like, yeah, pounce that's on That's on her. the nose there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, everything that came out of his mouth when he was in the Pepe Le Pew Frenchman character was, I mean, she was truly revolted. Um, but yeah. Thank God she very, didn't buy into it. it that was, was like very at least... problematic. Yeah. Is maybe the best way to put it. Um, yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but I found it really interesting to see Jim Carrey at my own age. Like, j- like you know, growing up, Jim Carrey is like a funny adult, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really seen a Jim Carrey movie. This is the first Jim Carrey movie that we've done on the show, and it's the first, and I, in general, haven't watched Jim Carrey movies as an adult. So it's weird to see him, and I'm like, oh, he must have been like 26, 28 or something in this movie. Yeah, I think he's maybe, I think you. Might have been in his 30s. Oh, okay. Early 30s. But he looked like such a baby. He did, yeah. I mean, the only Jim Carrey I see now is like the anti vaxxer uh, <laughs> with like wily, like gray hair. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit about so this aesthetic that is established, this mix between the neo noir, but at the same time, it's existing in the modern era. So why do you think that does it have to exist in the modern era? Why didn't they put it in? I don't know. Yeah. Um, because it's only for like props. We see the we see the computer, <laughs> that, but, but they're just background props. Banks and cars, the surveillance and clubs. cameras played a role. Oh yes, I guess. That's but that, true. but uh, no, you but that could have been eyewitness. It, it yeah. actually feels like a choice. Yeah, like they yeah. chose to put it in the modern era. It feels era. like a choice to bent to play with like a multi, um, with a multi like time period aesthetic, Mm -hmm. which I find an interesting choice, but I think it worked. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and I think it worked because it didn't feel sloppy. It felt consistently like a choice to me. It's like anything that has to do with aesthetic was this old timey noir thing. Anything that had to do with an actual time period and Mm -hmm. what was actually happening in the plot Mm -hmm. was was all modern. With the exception of this nightclub they go to over, over and over and over again because <laughs> the there's Oklahoma only one go. place to go at night. Yeah. Edge City Nightclub, which is what I decided it was called, even though it was called like Coco Bono. Coco, or Coco Bongo. Bongo Club. Yes. Coco Gabongo. Okay. Yeah. Was this supposed to take place in like some Miami 
like type of city because I noticed it was more New York but, but there were but by the Coco Bongo there were like a bunch of palm trees and then when oh, you're in huh. by the bank there's it's like you know, New York City I don't know it's very it, I think that's a no I, I think, think that's we just a have good to choice. accept it was an edge city it right. was in multiple locations it wants well, to I mean I think mm-hmm. that's a good thought like Miami definitely was a hotbed of gangland activity uh, and the fact that he like sings uh, later uh, in the movie at one point the sort of Beetlejuice borrowed scene where the mask forces everyone to dance to Cuban Pete um, like him singing a Cuban song there with all the palm trees and stuff definitely reinforces that maybe this is a Floridian gang because they're not yeah. they're not explicitly Italian they're just thuggish white dudes but so they've they- got a little bit of an ethnic yeah flair. that's true the, the, at least that the mob boss did Oh, that's true. He seemed like he might be Russian, or I don't know well, what um, he was. Honestly, actually, if you, <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> well, Russian's like a. I noticed that for Americans, very, Russian is a kind of ethnic. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed that it was actually a very blended mob group. There was a black mobster. There was a Latino mobster. You had the lo- yeah. the lobster. You had the mobster with. They didn't want you to uh, nail down Russian any accent. part of this movie. No, it was just yeah. generic mob group. Yeah. 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 The, the time period, That's the true. location, that, the commitment was, everything. The commitment was, this does not exist in anything ever. This is its own thing. Mm-hmm. It's whatever you want. One uh, one thing that's interesting is we meet uh, essentially like Jim Carrey's co-star in this, which is Milo the dog. <laughs> Best dog actor I've ever Fantastic. seen. The interesting thing is I feel like this was right around the time when like Jack Russell Terriers were definitely like the it dog breed in the 90s. Because not only do you have Milo, but they're like Wishbone for kids yeah. and, and Eddie on Frasier. This was like... Was this guy Wishbone? He might have been. This dog had to have been. All I think over this the place. dog was certainly the dog from Beethoven. Yeah, um, and could have been Wishbone. It was, definitely wasn't Eddie because Eddie was a wire hair. Yeah, no, no, I knew that. Terrier. Yeah, and we owned a Jack Russell Terrier. The only dog I remember ever having because was he as good at stealing keys from uh, cops that oh, were sleeping? Man. Summer was great for many things, but she could not. She could not understand any commands. And this comes to Marshall's place where he had the most nostalgia was when he got the dog into the jail cell. Right. My favorite moment in the entire uh, movie that I, I remembered, as soon as, as soon as Milo comes on screen, I remembered there's a joke that has always cracked me up. And it's towards the... After we established that Milo's a very intelligent dog who knows how to go find keys, later Milo sneaks into the jail where Jim Carrey's being held, and Jim Carrey tells him to go get the keys from the guard. And he scampers over there, adorable as hell, jumps up on the... The cop's desk, and then turns around with a cartoonish slice of Swiss cheese in his mouth. And Jim Carrey's like, oh, no, not not cheese, the keys. And the dog just looks at him like, what? And he's like, no, put the cheese down. And he drops it. He's like, now get the keys. And I, whatever, it's so adorable. To me, it, lo- it looked like that dog was like an, an actor and not... Yeah. Not that someone was training it off camera. No, it looked like a character that was, that was making committed. choices. Yeah. Yeah. He was fully committed. Yeah. Yeah. That as he's stealing the keys, he's like he's like pulling them off of a dozing cop and he has his uh, he has his little dog eyes locked on the cop's face as he slowly pulls it away exactly as a human would it's when he's doing it i'm like this is maybe the second best actor in this behind jim carrey yeah. is the dog yeah. <laughs> a lot better than poor man's dustin hoffman oh, yeah yeah our so, copper. Yeah, the, our yeah. police chief who's on the, detective who's on the case of finding the mask who looks like a poor man's Dennis Hopper. Or uh, Dennis Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Doyle. Yeah, I could have watched more about them. I yeah. enjoyed the, their buddy cop comedy. The, the buddy cop comedy that was the side, the, like the B, the B storyline going through this whole thing. <laughs> In fact, they, their relationship was so well formed that it almost felt like these were borrowed characters from another movie. Like, yeah. The detective and Doyle. Mm-hmm. The, uh, so he finds the mask, he puts the mask on, and the mask gives him uh, cartoon-like powers uh, that n- don't seem to shock anyone. There's no one in the movie who goes, how is he doing this? Why is his face green? Right. 
Right. No one ever calls out that his face is green, I don't think. Do they? No. Even when he's running around in polite company, uh-huh. oh, in a zoot suit with his mask on, no one's like, uh, that's weird. That's odd. That's yeah. Not a They're all just amazed do. by how cool he is, I guess. Or scary. Right. One of the two. Magic. I mean, we, yeah. we have to, we, we can't forget that the first time that he interacts with other humans, well, not the first time, but, you know, like, he's literally dodging bullets by by his entire body bending, mm-hmm. and he's just, like, changing costumes in midair. But that, I think that less than the mask not be, tripping people off, I think that the fact that he's a, a superhero, basically, with the mask on, and no one was like, oh, that's weird that you suddenly can become something else, that you suddenly can uh-huh. have a different outfit, that you suddenly have a guitar, or, you know... Th- whatever million weird i can't even tap into what he was bringing because every five seconds what he was wearing what he was holding the character he was playing changed Mm -hmm. and so that the fact that that was never like what is happening like no one ever asked that question yeah it's funny you mentioned superhero because it wasn't until this so immediately after he takes the mask off for the first time and he's like whoa or he has the mask on and he goes with power with you know with powers like these i could be a superhero and it wasn't until he said that, that i was like oh yeah i guess this is a superhero movie uh-huh. cuz i hadn't really thought about it mm-hmm. as being like a superhero movie well he's um, not necessarily a hero until the very very end yeah. he's super super <laughs> he's villain definitely super well and it's interesting because uh so the mask we learn is like Loki's mask from uh, Norse mythology, and Ryan, you commented, "Oh, is this like a Marvel thing? Like, <laughs> is this a potential crossover?" <laughs> with only uh, this. This is a dark. This is based on a Dark Horse comic, which is not the same uh, comic book company. The interesting thing is like this. Okay, so guys, how much money do you think this movie made? Oh, like a I rough bet ballpark. It did what? What was the budget? The budget was. $23 million, which is a pretty I'm gonna large say, amount. I'm going to say it did real good. I'll, I'll, I'll go uh, 90 mil. Okay. Know. Oh, Lord? I don't know what money is. I don't either. <laughs> I just, I think it did real good. Well, 90 mil is a, a success, but this movie made $351 million. Holy smokes. Which means this is maybe the most successful non-Marvel Cinematic Universe mo- superhero movie. Like, uh-huh. before the Avengers, The Mask might have been <laughs> one of the most successful. Well, that's really interesting. Or it's up there with, like, The Dark well, Knight. I don't think or... Jim Carrey had a box office flop in the mid-'90s. This is prime Jim Carrey. And I right? didn't... This year, specifically, because this is the year, 1994 is the year that The Mask, Ace Ventura Pet Detective, and Dumb and Dumber came That's out. They all came year. out in one year. Now, were That's those insane. his first films? Um, I think those were his first starring vehicles. I think you're right. What a entrance. Yeah, because he yeah. had mostly just been an extreme character actor known for being the only white guy on In Living Color. Oh, right. <laughs> That's where he came from. He yeah. was Fire Marshal Bill who being named Marshall all throughout my childhood, even though I was forbidden from watching in Living Color, <laughs> people called me Fire Marshal uh-huh. Bill all the time. That's a compliment? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, like, I didn't know what they were making reference to, and I'm like, no, my name's Marshall, not Bill. <laughs> or Fire. <laughs> or Fire. <laughs> it's a weird joke, yeah. Yeah, so these all came out in 1994, and then also, as I said earlier, this was Cameron Diaz's first ever movie. She's and the bottom of the... Of the uh, above the, the cast line and cast, cast yeah. List, um, yeah, bottom build. Yeah, she's below the detectives and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, with the, how they treated that character, they didn't even need to give her a name. She was just like blonde vehicle that that moves the story along. Right. The pretty sex object. What was her yeah. name? Tina. 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 So we were talking about how this movie is dated, Ryan. So, and I think the first thing that made us all sit up and realize how dated this movie might be is uh his first act as the mask is to take revenge on these uh mechanics who have oh god uh, who have uh essentially like he took in his car for a oil change and they dismantled it because they're like supposed to be crummy shady mechanics and he decides to take revenge on them with his mask powers 
by sodomizing them both with car mufflers. <laughs> oh that's that's when, a part I don't remember from you my younger it, days of watching. When you say it like that. <laughs> that was... And they get wheeled out the next morning. Covered in spray paint. With, with their butts, butts in the air. And car mufflers cartoonishly sticking out of them. <laughs> And there's like a whole crowd of journalists and reporters around taking pictures of them being carted out on gurneys with their Ryan sat forward, mouth agape. I look over. Laura has brought her can of soda down from her mouth agape. And we're all like, whoa. Should we stop watching? It's pretty jarring. Yeah. That's what brings me to like the question of how did this guy get off? How did Jim Jim Carrey's character end up like somehow squeaking out and being free at the end of this movie? Spoiler alert. He sexually assaulted two men. Several steals millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. Which I don't think is there any way that those get given back? No. A lot of it got spent, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Whatever. It's weird that he steals a bunch of money even though he can materialize anything he desires. So does he really need money? Maybe he can no, materialize No, but it's just the, the thrill and the rush. It's true. Oh, of being a bad guy. Yeah. It's all about the experience, guys. Yeah. That's what life is. I do appreciate how often in true cartoon style he just pulls things out of hammer space, you know, like, mm. and then, but then I noticed every time he gets done with a gag, he will put it away in his pocket like Bugs Bunny, which was like... <laughs> What about, well, one time he pulled out a used condom. Right, <laughs> right. And that's I think quick. That's, we were also like, whoa. Uh, and so, Ryan, why don't we talk about who is this movie targeted at? I, I don't know. I've, I think you had it right, or like teen, teen boys. Uh, but when I saw it as a kid, I thought it was a kid's movie. Because right. I think the cartoon elements lend itself to that, and Jim Carrey's entertaining for children. Um, but then I think adults probably enjoyed this too at the time. Yeah, <laughs> but time. at the time, yes. Now I don't think so. Yeah, there's still probably an audience for it. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of what I imagine. I haven't seen an Adam Sandler movie from the '90s in a long time, but I imagine it again falls into this aimed at like teen boys and sometimes Uh, kids go to see it and sometimes adults go to see it and it does have that like weird middle ground of like adult humor mixed in with slapstick that's generally considered like the water boy yeah Yeah. or or, i think that's aged a little bit better than the mask (laughs) if if the water boy aged better than the mask then we're in a world of hurt (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i have to see the water boy again it's been a while (laughs) and i think that's what what is kind of interesting about like who this is aimed for is like the jokes are crass and mm. like very but very on the nose there's nothing for the crass jokes there's nothing intelligent about the joke it's just mm-hmm. it's just a fart joke yeah you know it's just like 10 million different types of fart joke style fart jokes with and a couple so, rape jokes mixed with in. a couple rape jokes mixed in <laughs> yeah um and so it's it's such shallow humor that I was surprised at how grotesque it was at times from a sexual standpoint. Because usually that shallow humor is much more on the fart joke side instead of the I'm going to sodomize you with a muffler. <laughs> yeah, it is true. Like Because I'm thinking about like Dumb and Dumber. A lot of the Dumb and Dumber humor is is more potty humor. There's lots of fart jokes and pee jokes and pooping jokes. Yeah. And I'm sure one day we will do Dumb and Dumber, but I don't, I feel like Dumb and Dumber's humor is much more that innocent bathroom humor because I don't remember there being, because, you know, like Jim Carrey's character in that, he's like idolizing this woman that he has absolutely no chances Uh with. But I I seem to remember it being a more innocent crush type. Like I will impress her one day. I've seen Dumb and Dumber probably a thousand times and... It's nowhere near the level of the crassness of the mask. Even with, yeah. like, the 15-minute diarrhea scene. Yeah. Oh, the diarrhea scene. That's, like, all I remember. It's <laughs> probably my least favorite scene now, after having seen it so many times. But It was, like, your favorite The first scene. time you see it, it's, it blows your mind how funny it is. But now it's, like, okay, It blows your mind and your it. butthole. Yes. <laughs> so there's a, there's a point in this movie that is vaguely, it reminds you of the Batman Bruce Wayne 
or a Clark Kent Superman movement where uh, the girl is in love or seems to be going for the hero, the the identity, and then the, the man behind the identity is still secretly pining after her. And she seems like maybe she knows, like when she comes by to try and arrange a date with the mask or whatever, um, it seems like maybe she sort of knows, like how Lois Lane sort of knows Clark mm-hmm. Kent as Superman. I didn't really see any reason why Tina would fall in love with Stanley at all, but she did spoiler alert, which again makes me think of the manic pixie dream girl sort of thing. It's like Stan has nothing to offer here. No. And the entire time you, you learn from the reporter lady who's also into him that, um, he had written into her report, her into like, uh, what, what Ask Peggy. Hey, Ask Peggy, like, advice column. Which pays dick. Yeah. <laughs> it's a line she says. Ask Peggy pays dick. Go on, Laura. <laughs> and she's basically, and I guess he wrote in, and the whole thing was, nice guys finished last. And he was wondering why, as a nice guy, he can't get a woman. And, you know, like, all right, this whole concept of, like, nice guys deserve, like, all the women... And there's this, like, low-level animosity that they're just not getting the women. Um, that I, I feel like this movie is very problematic in the 110% way it embraces that trope. Right. Yeah, it is sort of like, I, I do feel like this was formative in, because definitely in my teen years, uh, I was not much of a Lothario in my <laughs> teen years, and uh, uh, but I do I do distinctly remember thinking such things as like, you know, oh, I'm so nice, and all girls do is <laughs> complain about the buttholes they're in love with, well, I'm a nice guy right in front, you know. Why don't you let me fuck sitting, you? R- yeah, yeah. Sitting right here in front of you. Yeah, come on, give me some action, because I'm nice. <laughs> You know, <laughs> let me touch those boobs. Yeah, yeah, come on. When you're in high school, you just want to touch some boobs. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I feel like this movie definitely was part of that foundation of the idea that, yeah, Stanley Ipkiss is a nice guy. He does deserve super hot Cameron Diaz, who I had a major crush on. I remember watching this movie. I it, get it. Yeah. 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 yeah and, and so it does totally buy in because, like you said, Ryan, like, what. What has Stanley Ibkiss got going on in his life other than an awesome dog to offer? <laughs> Sometimes Maybe that's enough. Maybe that's it. Yeah. Because he's not, he doesn't seem particularly good at his job, and he seems rather boring and obsessed with cartoons. So he, I imagine he spends a lot of time just alone in his apartment, whereas she is a successful singer and su- seems pretty well off, or at least, mm-hmm. you know, has the potential to be well off and is hanging with exciting gangsters all the time. <laughs> um, though I will say that I wouldn't call her experience with the gangsters exciting. She is literally abused by them every time we see it. I guess that's true. They try, they, they try killing her multiple times. True. True. Yeah. So well, exciting, the, the, one, the one way in which I could see her being into... Stanley Ipkiss, is that she has been in an abusive relationship for so long, and he is the first guy who has come come along and not, like, his main focus was not, ooh, you and your hot body. You know, mm-hmm. he, he actually kind of treated her like a human. And in her warped world, where she is just a, basically kind of seems like a sex slave, she's allowed to relax a little bit. And so any part of her that is interested in him is a part that really needs therapy and like some really deep mm. help to get over some abuse. <laughs> She'll get tired of him quick, I think. Yes. Yeah. But th- yeah. But there was a sequel to this, wasn't there? But Jim was not in it. Correct. They yeah. they had initially planned on immediately doing the mask too, but at this point Jim Carrey was like blowing up in a big way and he I think he I think he had, I think I remember reading he had a bad experience on Ace Ventura 2 that made him be like, okay, I don't really want to do sequels Uh. to my comedies. So he ultimately turned down The Mask 2. And then in 2005, they released Son of the Mask, which was critically and financially a failure. Mm. And it has nothing to do with Jim Carrey. And I think it very well has nothing to do with any of the characters in this. So... There's a there's a gag in here that I really want to talk about because again going with the cartoon bits so there's 
the thing that I, I do appreciate about the cartoon aesthetic of the mask, which I, I felt was kind of spot on, and I really enjoyed all of his cartoon powers, there's a part where the gangsters come in and they shoot at him and they seem to get him after doing like lots of costume changes and like hilariously dodging bullets, like Laura was saying. He seems to get shot and then proceeds to do this like over the top Hollywood death sequence in the arms of one of the gangsters where he's like coughing and like repeats like every single line people famous movies have said or riffs on them when he's dying Mm -hmm. and then he seems to die and suddenly an audience appears at the bottom of the screen (laughs) a hand from off stage hands him an oscar and both of the gangsters have the most lost look on their faces like what the fuck is happening and the mask is like starts giving an acceptance speech and i just died laughing it was so (laughs) out of nowhere and the gangsters look really abashed like whoa wait what is that it was almost like that that bit was jim's idea and the gangsters were like i don't know if this is a good idea like behind the scenes they're like this seems kind of (laughs) dumb they kind of show it on their faces (laughs) like they're looking at the director like Like, are we we going we're not using this are we (laughs) And I think the crazy part about that is it is the only time something like that happens. We're at fourth wall breaking. <laughs> yeah. Sort of like that. And I would have liked to see more of that. Like, I thought that that was the most fun and, like, uh, and, like, kind of groundbreaking idea that they did. Yeah. Um, and so I would have liked to see more of that. But I will say the fact that it just happens once <laughs> is so weird. Yeah. I think Jim breaks the fourth wall a few times, but that was just the most absurd breaking of the fourth wall. Right. I've yeah, seen, that was a sludge. Yeah, he, he, does, he, he does plenty of talking to the audience, but that's the first time where, like, the entire movie becomes aware of the, the fact that camera an guy hands him a, <laughs> an Oscar. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and so, like, that part... That part I thought was was really great, and it sort of taps into the sort of absurd humor that when the mask, the movie, was at its best, I feel, is when these moments of, like, truly absurd, like, cartoon humor. There's a part early on when he's stalking a clock, a cartoon clock that's trying to wake up his landlord with a mallet, and there's, like, lots of funny cartoon violence that is like I thought is really entertaining. It really kind of buys into like the cart. Like we're gonna do some cartoon humor, you know, which makes me think about e- how much the mask reminds me of Deadpool, the mm. the the Marvel Comics character who now has his own movie. Yeah. Ryan uh, Ryan Reynolds is in because Deadpool. I can see that. Yeah, Deadpool also talks to the audience a lot. There's lots of fourth wall breaking. He is also indestructible, like the mask is, and always seeks to humiliate his opponents, but then also kill them. Like, he's a deadlier version of the mask. Um, and I feel like Deadpool came... Cartoonish violence, too. Totally, wow. yeah, yeah. Different kind of cartoon, but... Well, yeah. and, the, and I feel like I, I remember in the comic books, I think it's even more cartoonish with, mm-hmm. like, him holding up signs and doing that sort of, okay. like, you know, goofy stuff. So let's talk really briefly about the Pepe Le Pew scene, because we, we've mentioned, like, the, the rapiness. So uh, he goes on... <laughs> He goes on a date with uh, with uh, Cameron Diaz. Well, so she Park. asks uh, Stanley to send the masked man to meet her in the park. And so Stanley it doesn't really know how to manage this. So he shows up with the mask in a suit, in like a briefcase. And she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, uh, I gotta go. And so he jumps behind um, a bush and then on the other end of the shrubbery spins out the masked man. So I wouldn't say that they went on a date. More so they went they on met. like, yes, a scandalous a encounter. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he comes out dressed like a French guy and proceeds to be very Pepe Le Pew, which, uh, you know, like, I guess they didn't know at the time in, the 19, in like 1994. But this is obviously like the most questionable cartoon bit because it really bites into like the fact that you know, Pepe Le Pew is just like rape culture as a gag for a whole hundreds of cartoons that Pepe yeah, Le Pew Yeah, it's just consent in. doesn't matter, consent doesn't matter, consent doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Well, cause no consent means vi- yes, no means consent yes. Consent violation is romantic, Laura. Get with the picture. I know. <laughs> I get it. Um, yeah, it, it was a very, it's very jarring to watch that type of stuff now. In a time when we have 
finally, like the voices that are saying this is not okay have finally broken through to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. And it's not just me as a woman feeling uncomfortable. It's everyone in the room is visibly like, oh, this is gross. And why is this happening? Yeah, when, was there uh, any kind of backlash against that back in 94 when no it came out? Way. No. We've but come yeah, a long way. Right. And like in the same line, when our other female character comes up, she keeps referring to this as him being a hopeless romantic or like, or when, when Jim Carrey doesn't have the mask on, he's like, when you put on the, in this, in the, in the cocaine descriptor scene, he says, you know, when I put on the mask, it makes me feel like I can do anything. It really brings out whoever you are on the inside. And I'm like a hopeless romantic with a goofy sense of humor and, and hopeless romantic in 1994 messaging meant. A guy who will not take no for an answer. He puts his eyes on the prize and keeps it there. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Which, I, the cool thing is, I, I do appreciate that there was the internal consistency of Jim Carrey has cartoon powers because Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey's character loves cartoons. And right. when Dorian puts it on, he never once exhibits cartoon-like powers. He's just, what was he, just more evil? Just evil and cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Just he very wasn't, violent. He, he was the same character, just with a cool mask. Yeah. And red eyeballs, yeah, and still yeah. having hair. Yeah, that was. Weird. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't lose his. He doesn't lose his suave like. Just had a massive neck and a green face. It's a completely different actor. I feel yeah. like it has. It to be. Oh, yeah. No, it is. I, I like. You can it see it. No, like if you pay really close attention to the There's neck. Probably some like WWE wrestler at yeah. the time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he's he's like horrifying how giant his neck is when he puts when he puts the mask on. Yeah, so to to roll it up to the very climax of the um of the movie, uh, Dorian is kind of going against the main mob boss. So Dorian's the we, we I don't know we, so Dorian yes. is the is the kind of the underboss yeah. of the of the mob, and he's also Cameron Diaz's boyfriend. Yes, and he gets caught by main mob boss. Um, in trying to run like mob activity underneath main so mob he's bosses, like, get movies. out of town yeah, while you still can. Hits a golf ball off his mouth. Yeah, uh, I remember that scene pretty vividly. Yeah, yeah. nah, very interesting. I've seen that scene or a recreation of that scene in a few movies since then. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. It's a pretty yeah. decent in- intimidation yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah, and so in order to instead of getting out of town, he's like, no, I'm taking him down, and so he rolls in on the the night of this big uh, gala gala for war orphans. Yes. Just to really hammer home how evil Dorian is. Like, I'm going to steal from orphans of war. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> they get in this big fight. All of my, all the main mob bosses get taken down. And then for some reason, which I'm still not clear about, he ties his girlfriend to a post yeah. and hooks her up to dynamite. And he's going to blow the whole place up. Now this actually has he thought suspects about it. that she's cheating on him. You know, this is what uppity this women is- get. You know, in 1994, <laughs> you might be cheating on me. Death by explosion. That's what you. Yeah, <laughs> and and somehow with the help of the dog, Jim Carrey gets out and he makes it over there and he saves her by putting the mask on. Yeah, the dog. Yeah, Milo puts the uh, mask on and as he's as he gets the. As he gets the mask, the mask gets pulled away from Dorian. So Dorian has the mask on. He has all the mask powers. And Cameron Diaz is like, wait, before you kill me, I just want one last kiss. Which, (laughs) I mean, I guess the mask has to be clouding his mind because. I mean, but at the same time, like, that's pretty, that's pretty good survival skills. Yeah. You know, I was actually like into how she handled the situation. The only way she was going to get saved is if. Jim or the dog gets the mask. Yeah. It's true. And the only tool and she had, yeah. her feminine her raw yes. sexuality. That's right. uh, and you know, who knows? I've never killed somebody before, so maybe right before you kill them, they ask for one last kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this is something we put in a Snack Williams. <laughs> like Snack Williams has to down. be asked for a kiss right before you kill somebody. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> so... Um, so and he, he, of course, obliges. Right. And yeah. uh, so the dog gets the mask, and Laura goes, oh, my God, does the dog put on the mask? <laughs> yeah, really excited. <laughs> and and were, were you um, pleasantly surprised when the dog did put on the mask? No, for some reason, it just, I wanted, I don't know why I wanted the dog to get bigger. I, oh, it becomes a giant that, yeah, cartoon. It yeah. didn't quite live up to I, what I had hoped. Yeah, I wanted him to, like, for that moment, to, like, have the body of a Rottweiler or something. Oh, yeah. Oh. yeah. 
I mean, the other guy had a had Big a fucking three neck. times bigger neck. That's true. And all that dog, you could tell all that dog wanted to be was a ferocious dog. Right. You know, so. So, yeah, ultimately sort of Milo saves the day. And then, yeah, as we, as we said, somehow, despite committing like innumerable felonies and surely being caught doing it, uh, Stanley Ipkiss, Jim Carrey gets off because the detective insults the mayor at the last moment. He like has Jim Carrey in handcuffs and then he bumps into the mayor and says, watch out, tubby. And then the tubby's the mayor. So my, my quick opinion is Tina really missed the boat on the guy she ended up with. She should have ended up with the dog. <laughs> I mean, he like did save the, the day. dog was the most worthy man in that movie. I imagine Stanley and Tina will they'll be together for a few months and then she might take the dog. Yeah. When she gets tired yeah, of Stanley. 100%. And him being yeah. the nice guy, he'll give it to her. Yeah, he will. <laughs> <laughs> he did just give away his You can just have me. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's so how is this like? Do you think this was appropriate viewing now for you for you as a child? Because how do you feel, Ryan Miller? How do you feel about how this impressed upon you as a kid? In 1994, I think this is appropriate viewing. But if I was a six year old in 2017, maybe not. Yeah, do you if that think, makes any sense? Yeah, 100%. yeah. Would you show this? To, would this you show this to your child? If you ha- were to have one, and if so, at what age? I mean, being such a big Jim Carrey fan, I might. There's the the age range where they're not going to understand half the stuff that's going on in the movie, so my they'll be entertained by the uh, the cartoonish factor. Uh, so I think I'd be okay showing it to a kid, maybe that's from the age of five to ten. Okay. Then, you know, after that, probably want to wait a few years. <laughs> I lo- it's more acceptable for young children than it is for children that are trying to learn how to handle women. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. Very true. A bad a bad teaching tool for about relationships. A, a bad movie for a 13-year-old. Yeah. That's really funny. And I completely agree with every part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I think now, like, especially looking at the the scene, the Pepe Le Pew scene, and the whole the nice guy thing, I'm now thinking this was really inappropriate viewing for me as a as a young kid because it did make me feel like, yeah, nice guys deserve hot chicks. <laughs> like that was sort of my take because I, you know, this movie came out when I was 11, and I definitely yeah. saw in the theater. I think I saw all three of Jim Carrey's 1994 movies in the theater, and I remember watching this thinking, yeah, I deserve a hot girl like Cameron Diaz because I'm nice and funny and I love cartoons. <laughs> and I have a Jack Russell Terrier. I had all of the things. <laughs> you were Jim Carrey. Was your opening, was your pickup line, uh, have you seen The Mask to any girl you wanted to take out? Right, yeah. yeah. Hey, we could. You want to go see a Jim Carrey movie? <laughs> We're not going to go see a chick flick. I'll pay. I'm a nice guy. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> well, I was brought up in the South. Of course I pay. Yes. So with all the things in this movie that we are uh, struggling with, if we could remake this movie mm. in 2017, what would you change? What would you keep? I think uh, Jim Carrey is still the mask. I think he could still pull it off. Maybe not to the same level. He's probably a little tired now. I mean, in uh, our world, he can still be the same age. We can sure. Ca- we can okay. cast. Oh, so, we're, so we're thirty year old. We're, 19, we're remaking nineteen ninety four version. Yeah, we could keep him. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Remaking nineteen ninety four version. Well, if that's the case, I'm keeping it all the same because it made three hundred million. <laughs> yeah, it made a shitload of money. <laughs> Don't change a thing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we'd probably change some of the uh, more the rapey bits. Uh, and just kind of, you know, everything we discussed that we're kind of realizing now. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I would probably give Cameron Diaz an opportunity to put on the mask. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Right? I, I was thinking about, like, if it was to be remade now and we and you wanted to make a female lead, is there is there a female actress with the sort of physical mm. humor... Because my immediate thought was like Melissa McCarthy. Melissa McCarthy is ma- is positioning herself as a as a big physical comedian yeah. now, and I, then also I think Kate McKinnon oh. from Saturday Night Live has like such a funny expressive face yes. that she 
like her with a green latex mask on would be very She'd be funny perfect. Me. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just want to see it. It'd be different, but I want to see Alana Glazer. <laughs> oh man, from Broad uh. City. <laughs> yeah. Dude, can you imagine her with the green mask on saying, "Dude, come on, yeah, girl." Yeah, I can see that. There's just something about her like straightforward kind of arrogant delivery that would be so good inside of an overblown character like that. Yeah. 100%. But um no, I think that the natural the natural choice would be Kate McKinnon. Yeah. But she's the natural choice for any funny female. She's the best female comedian out there yeah, right now. as Jim was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, all this brings us to our title question. Do I still love it? Ryan Miller. I don't love it, but I enjoyed it. Uh, for Jim Carrey. It's just, I can't get enough of Jim Carrey, but I don't love it. It's not one of my favorites. Uh the opening like 15 minutes of him just kind of it's all physical comedy him <laughs> just kind of walking around being a loser being a klutz and then when he puts on the mask it's just basically the best parts of ace ventura kind of all in the same bit with a element of cartoon so i don't know if i would give it two thumbs up i'd give it like one thumb up and then one thumb kind of like not sure which direction it wants to go you <laughs> uh-huh. know yeah so Cool. I enjoyed it still. Yeah. Do I still love it? Laura Weiss. Um, I think that the the truth is you can't not love Jim Carrey's performance in this. Just from a from a deep like respect place as an actor. Like he's so committed, he's so good, his choices are so specific, and he's just such a talent. Anything that doesn't have to do with him or the dog, who is just as much of a talent as Jim Carrey, um, no. (laughs) But, you know, when your main character is such a magnanimous, uh, amazing performer, it's hard to just say, I didn't like it, because that's not true. But I don't think I would sit down and watch it again. But if somebody said, hey, I'm going to show you a bunch of clips of Jim Carrey from The Mask, I'd be like, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think I I think I echo you guys' the same sentiments. It was a very enjoyable film, um, parts for, for the most part. I'd say I'd say more more than half the time I was having a really good time. Um, but yeah, my my love of it has eroded as it has become dated by being now over over twenty years yeah. old. <laughs> God, we're old. Holy it's over twenty years old. But it is it like like Laura said. Watching this movie, it's obvious why Cameron Diaz and Jim Carrey became so huge Mm -hmm. because they stand out. um, They stand out among a a movie that has a very diverse ensemble cast. They really stand out as the most watchable, interesting to look at characters. And uh, and you can really tell like they're a, a, a real talent, even though the movie itself is hinged upon mostly just cliches about you know n- n- crime noir cliches and cartoon bits like they managed to act and be have like interesting personalities that like you want to see more Cameron Diaz you want to see more Jim Carrey and I want to see a lot more of Milo the Dog yeah. so yeah so uh, uh, we don't still love it I'm gonna we- say we don't still love it we still love Jim Carrey and that dog six thumbs up for the dog oh yeah yeah Great. I really want to thank our guest this week, Ryan Miller. Uh, Ryan, where can the folks find your stuff on the internet? Uh, you can find, well, so I'm in a sketch group uh, called Fruit Chicken. You can find us on uh, Facebook, uh, Funny or Die YouTube. Uh, we do sketch comedy. Uh, we're currently working on a uh, documentary right now about the makings of uh, sketch comedy. Uh, oh, that'll great. be out in the next. A serious uh, documentary? Uh, it's a mockumentary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, it's and then uh, Snack Williams, that'll be out. Uh, it's going to take a while for us to make. We're currently shooting it. So mark your calendars for like September 2017. Yeah. And, uh, Is that first episode out? It's not out yet. Oh, okay. No, we might release it at some point. But yeah, I've seen a couple of hot clips from Snack Williams. Oh, yeah. A lot of hot clips. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you can find uh, you can find Do I Still Love It all over the internet at uh, Do I Still Love It on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and all those places. We own it everywhere on the internet. Yep, and find us on iTunes, and we would love it if you would subscribe and rate it and review it and tell all your friends and share the stuff. Yeah, and starting with this... And let us know if you still loved it. Yeah. Tell us what you guys thought about The Mask. Have you watched it recently? Do you still love it? And also, we are now on Google Play, so let all your friends who might have been holding out because they have Android phones that they can now listen to us on the Google Store. Nice. So, Equal opportunity employer. Yeah. And if and if you have friends who want to get the podcast and all the ways we put it out doesn't seem to work, let us know. We're all about putting on even more platforms. Or you can just go to doistilloveit.com and press play. Yeah, or download it. Come on, do a little bit of work. We give this away for free. Uh, <laughs> you moochers. Anyway, and on that note. <laughs> anyway, we love you, moochers. Uh, I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. Saying uh, goodbye. Smoking. Smoking. <laughs> yeah.